This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Today, I had the distinct honor of interviewing Dr. Alexandra Soa, who is a dual board-certified physician of internal medicine, specializing in metabolic health and clinical instructor of medicine at NYU. Today, we dove into the scope of metabolic health in the United States, the importance of nutritional choices and how to optimize health, including other lifestyle choices like sleep and stress management and physical activity, the role of depersonalized medical advice, the role of technology in monitoring health, the influence of things like alcohol, naltrexone, the concept of cheat days, and biohacking in the wellness space. I hope you will enjoy our conversation. And don't forget to check out her point of care testing for insulin resistance, the weight biology kit. Dr. Soa, it's so nice to connect with you. I've been really excited about this conversation. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So when you reached out to me on social media and we started having this interaction about something unique that you came up with during the course of the pandemic that can address metabolic health, I would love for you to share with listeners organically how this came to you during this turbulent last two years. Yes. Okay. So I am an obesity medicine physician. I'm dual board certified in internal medicine and a field called obesity and metabolic health medicine. And I have a private practice and people would come to me complaining of symptoms. They'd say, I have unexplained weight gain, decreased endurance, brain fog, irregular periods. But, you know, my doctor says I'm healthy and here are my labs. I'll show you. They said that my labs look fine. And then I would look at the same set of labs with my specialty training and I would see right off the bat, you have metabolic syndrome you have an underactive thyroid, you're vitamin deficient. And then the one thing that was always missing that I would always add on would be looking at fasting insulin in combination with fasting glucose. And in 90% of the patients who came to me complaining of these symptoms, I would find something called insulin resistance. And it just happened over and over again for many years. And during the pandemic, I really had some time to sit and think, how can I bring my specialty practice to more people. And the solution came to me through at-home lab testing where I could order a panel for people just like I would in my private practice and make these things like fasting insulin and the specialty interpretation available to more people. Because with the pandemic, it became even more clear how we need to be getting a hold of this metabolic health epidemic that we have. of our population has evidence of metabolic dysfunction on their labs, 88%. So what I was seeing in this 90% number in my practice is throughout the population. So I developed an at-home testing kit. Our first kit hit the market was called the weight biology kit. And we were addressing the symptom of weight because that's what I most frequently saw in my private practice. And we test for eight biomarkers in this kit at home with the finger prick test. You do not need your doctor to order it. By coming through us, we have doctors who are ordering it and interpreting it and then releasing the results to you and explaining it in a way like I would in my private practice. And it's been such a a hit with people that we're expanding our kit offerings now and looking at other 
diseases under this metabolic dysfunction umbrella. So we're releasing, I think by the time that this podcast is out, we should be able to order our PCOS biology kit, helping women who think they might have or already have a diagnosis of polycystic ovary syndrome, and then just more globally looking at insulin resistance and metabolic health. And so a little bit of a long explanation, but this company was rooted first in a private practice and just in a desire to make this testing more available. And I'm so excited to be here to talk to you about it. Well, any of my listeners know this is completely up my alley. You know, I practiced as an MP in cardiology for 16 years, and I kept telling my colleagues, we are missing opportunities because unfortunately in traditional allopathic medicine, we have a bucket, like you meet a bunch of criteria, diagnosis criteria, you fall into this bucket. And we weren't thinking globally. We were very kind of narrow-minded. If someone had a thyroid issue, unless they were acutely sick in the hospital, we send them back to primary care. And a lot of the markers that you're talking about and are specific to this home weight loss kit are markers that I was looking at that I was saying to my, to my patients, your triglycerides are high, your HDL is low. You know, this is a sign that yes, perhaps there's some genetic susceptibility that your HDL is low, but really this is more a reflection of lifestyle choices that you're making. So when we're thinking about the scope of metabolic health, it is important for people to understand that it's more than just lab markers. There are lifestyle contributors that exacerbate this. And so, you know, from my perspective, so much about our modern day living and our modern day lifestyles are feeding this metabolic disorder issue. And Mm -hmm. certainly over the last 20 plus years of me working in medicine, I went from, you know, being in a preventative cardiology center and then going into a large private practice in the Washington DC area, obviously working with very bright individuals, but blinders on not thinking about, you know, the, a lot of the advice that we were giving our patients good intentioned, but advice nonetheless, that was not particularly helpful. And I think about things as benign as saying, exercise more, eat less. And it's really not an exercise more, eat less issue. It's a hormone issue and why insulin in particular is such a critically important hormone. And I oftentimes, even when I do webinars or I'm doing IG lives, I'll say every single person, male or female on this needs to check a fasting insulin. And if your primary care provider, internist, your GYN, whomever is not comfortable, well, we need to find you someone else because it's that critically important. So let's talk about how insulin oftentimes is the first biomarker that will dysregulate as we are trending towards this path of insulin resistance. And let's be really clear, the study that you mentioned at the beginning of our discussion about that 88.2% of Americans is a UNC Chapel Hill study from 2018. I can guarantee that number is larger, especially yeah. after the past two years. So let's talk about why fasting insulin oftentimes is that first biomarker that we need to be looking at, that we need to know those numbers and what value range do you personally like to see with your patient population? Okay. Oh, there's so much good stuff to dissect here. Okay. So let's start with insulin. So in traditional medicine, one, we are taught to manage and only look for disease states. Mm -hmm. And that is where we go wrong because in metabolic dysfunction, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, type two diabetes, it takes years to develop. And so I actually always tell people, don't be scared of getting a diagnosis. And you had said that starting with labs are just one part. It really is lifestyle and and nutrition. And that's how we reverse it. 
I like identifying it on labs because I think it's incredibly empowering because it takes away this idea that weight or symptoms that you might have or how you're feeling is all a willpower thing. And instead you can say, actually, no, I have a hormonal imbalance. Let's focus on that. And it gives you something very clear to work toward. And the problem in traditional medicine is that we only have been taught to look at blood sugars and then in a little bit more complex way, something called the hemoglobin A1C, which is the average blood sugar over three months time. The problem is, is that blood sugar is the second thing to react and insulin is the first. And insulin's job is it's secreted by the pancreas in response to a glucose load. And if insulin is working, you'll bring down that blood sugar into an appropriate range. But what happens for the 20 years before blood sugar shoots up into an inappropriate range when we're catching it on traditional screening metrics is that insulin numbers are creeping up. You need more and more insulin to handle, to wrangle that blood sugar and take it to parts of your body, your brain, your muscles for use. And so insulin is a much better predictor of where we are metabolic health wise, rather than glucose, because by the time that glucose is elevated, your insulin levels have been high for a very, very long time. And your pancreas is getting on the cusp of burning out. It's getting very tired. And the longer your body goes learning that it needs higher and higher insulin levels, the harder it is and the longer it will take to reverse it. You, you still can absolutely hundred percent, but the earlier we can catch it, we can really delay so many of the negative symptoms that come with hyper insulin levels and then eventually high blood sugars. So what are we looking for with insulin? One of the reasons that most doctors will not order this test have will never heard of it. If you ask them to order it, they'll say, I have no idea is because we really don't learn about it. And we previously thought that in order to get an accurate level of insulin, you had to do something very complicated in the hospital. You had to have glucose pumps and clamps and it needed to be highly scientific and regulated. But the more and more we've studied it, the more and more we realize, you know, we can actually take this at one point in time. So if you go to Quest or Lab 4, and this is the other problem, is that if you go to a traditional lab to screen for insulin, their range, I think, is upwards of a normal range is up to 30. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a fasting insulin of 30 in the morning, uh, you are in advanced insulin resistance and likely already have evidence of prediabetes and the type 2 diabetes. I like my numbers to be at least below eight, ideally below five. And that is when your body is optimally understanding how to take in carbohydrates, how to wrangle them, how to deal with them. When it starts going over 10 into the teens, upwards of 30, your body needs such high levels of insulin to handle that blood sugar. And your blood sugar might be in an okay range, but those high levels of insulin are making you feel everything that all of the symptoms, you are tired, you are hungry, you are gaining weight like crazy. Even if you are calorie restricting and eating like a rabbit, you are gaining weight because insulin is a fat storage hormone and insulin in excess is a hunger hormone like you can't even imagine. So if you wake up with an insulin level in the teens and the twenties, you are going to be so hungry and you're going to want carbohydrates because that's what insulin signals your body to do. And as soon as you eat that carb, 
as going straight over as fat. Even if you're running a marathon, even if you're burning all of the calories and eating nothing, you know, but 800 calories a day, your body doesn't understand the calories in calories out method when you have this imbalance. And so insulin is just, in my opinion, the absolute only place we should really be starting when we're looking at the symptoms associated that we so commonly feel, and especially in relationship to weight gain. Well, and I think it's really important, as you say, the empowerment piece, you know, allowing patients to have some vested information that they can tangibly hold on to, you know, knowing this day of Dr. Google and information accessibility, I think it's really, really important, whether it's you or Dr. Ben Bickman or Jason Fung or some of the low carb MD docs, you know, Brian Lenski and Dr. Tro, you know, those are the people that I think about in this space along with you that are really doing an amazing job talking about this and helping to empower patients so they can advocate for themselves because that's really what it comes down to. And so I don't want anyone who's listening to think that insulin's all bad. Obviously, insulin, when it's working efficiently, is very, very important. But most of us have such significant hormonal dysregulation in our bodies that it's not working efficiently. And a lot of what you're talking about is helping people understand the things they can do to kind of harness improving their hormonal profiles in their bodies. So let's pivot and talk a little bit about some of the nutritional impact on metabolic health. And and I think for anyone that listens to this podcast regularly, they know what you're going to talk about, but it's (laughs) something I talk about frequently, but it's important for us to hear it again and again, because it reinforces better habits. Yes. Let's say it one more time. We need insulin. Like insulin is incredibly (laughs) important, right? And we should not villainize it, but what, where it goes awry, as you were saying, is that for most of us really, truly, like if you are, if you get a fasting insulin back and it's really high, do not feel alone. Mm -hmm. It's you and at least 50% of our country and likely higher will show these elevated insulin levels. So it's just so common. And it's common because we've created a culture in which the food around us, the world around us, the environment around us is they've tried to convince us that grains and carbohydrates and fruits and sweets and processed foods and fast foods should be normal. And we're, there's something wrong with us if we can't stay away from them. (laughs) They're hyper palatable and they're highly, highly addictive. So if you find this number, it should be actually exciting because the thing is we have tools and we'll talk about them, about what to do about it. Okay. So your listeners, I hope already know this, but the two main things that we can do when we find that elevated insulin and we have signs of insulin resistance are one, we're going to decrease carbohydrates. And the second thing we're going to do is we are going to learn how to intermittent fast. And we are going to utilize time-restricted feeding to our benefits. This idea that we should be eating all the time and grazing is a made-up one and is not one that our bodies are good at handling. And especially when we have insulin resistance, our goal should be to give our body a break and to get that insulin level down as much as possible. And if you're snacking, especially on traditional snack foods, if you're having pretzels, if you're having cookies, fruit with nothing else paired with it, then you're going to have these blood sugar spikes and more importantly, insulin spikes and your insulin will never be allowed to come down and rest. And the longer we can go between eating meals and then focusing on meals that are high in healthy proteins and fats 
and low in all of the refined carbohydrates and low in starchy vegetables and we're really focusing on leafy greens, the lower we can keep that insulin level down and the lower you can keep the insulin level down and the most consistent levels it's amazing. You'll start to feel better and you'll start to see weight loss and you'll reverse all your symptoms. And in about 12 weeks time, and even much faster than that, but I like to give people 12 weeks, you will see all of your insulin numbers come down and it's very reversible when you attack the high insulin levels with lifestyle and consistency does become key but that's the beauty of it. I mean, I have people who come to me with insulin levels in the fifties and then within 12 weeks, I will get them down to 10. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, 50 is, I, I have not seen a 50. I've seen a 30, but wow, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced. And it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting-edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one, -on -one, interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 
12 month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. And I think on so many levels, it's so important for us to understand that we do have to keep reframing these discussions so that people understand They do have the ability to switch course. They do have the ability to change things. I think it's very, very important for people to understand that, you know, the meal frequency piece in particular, which is something obviously that I'm a huge fan of less meal frequency, no snacking. I remind my teenagers that if they need to snack in between meals, it's because they did not put their meals together properly. And we really don't do a good job as healthcare providers talking to our patients about nutrition because we aren't taught much in our own education. And much of what we taught is focused on my plate. It's focused on farm subsidized products. It's focused on this, you know, kind of methodology that we need a lot of heart healthy grains. I'm using quotation marks, air quotes, Mm -hmm. anyone can see me. And I think it's profoundly detrimental that we're not talking about what's most important, which is keeping our blood sugar stable, not having these, you know, massive fluctuations in blood sugar uh, lability as well as insulin as well. Now, when we're thinking about avoiding these highly processed, hyperpalatable foods, decreasing our meal frequency, what are some of the other things that we can be doing? Now, again, I'm leaning towards a couple of things in particular that I've come to find have a profound net impact on how we are able to capitalize on blood sugar control and insulin as well, because they oftentimes go hand in hand. But what are some of the other lifestyle pieces that can be so instrumental for helping your patients improve their fasting insulin and blood sugars? So three additional elements to nutrition. One, that would be sleep. We really overlook sleep. Sleep apnea and insulin resistance go hand in hand. And so I want everyone to get screened for sleep apnea. It is a condition in which you really interrupt your REM sleep since you're exhausted, but more importantly than that, it really has an effect on our cardiovascular system long-term and it raises our cortisol at night and you wake up just ravenous and the cycle will continue. And that stress at night when you should be sleeping is so bad for our our body's inflammation and our long-term health that we need to make sure screen yourselves for that. You can hop over to my website at getsowell.com. We have a screening tool accessible for sleep apnea. But if you don't have sleep apnea, just even sleep. So interestingly, I found in the pandemic that a lot of more of my patients are getting more sleep because they're working from home. And there has been an improvement actually when so much else has gone wrong. It's been great. People are like, oh, for the first time in 20 years, I'm sleeping seven hours again and I have more energy. And now I can attack the things that I hadn't been able to do before. So sleep is a very big component. You don't want too much. 
You don't want too little and you want it to be good quality. Then the second thing in relationship to that is stress. So when we're constantly running around like chickens with our heads cut off, your stress levels will be so high that it can become near impossible to get your insulin levels down. If you are sick and in the hospital and you're not even eating anything, you're not even eating carbohydrate, your insulin levels can spike. That's natural. It can be actually very protective, but long-term, if we're seeing it every day and we don't have a reason for it, other than just chronic stress in our lives, your blood sugar and your insulin levels will go up. And so that is not something you can fix, honestly, as easily as diet. It needs constant attention, meditation, adding in exercise, which we'll get to next, but really having some very healthy habits to hone in on your stress levels. And in a work from home environment, that can actually be like, okay, every hour on the 55 mark, I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk around my house. I'm going to do some deep breathing. And even if it doesn't feel like I'm in a hyper stressed place, I'm going to remind my body that we're going to come down from this environment. And so then finally, the final element, and I'm so interested to hear if you, what else you might add, but is exercise is movement. Now, most people have an idea that weight loss and like physical symptom improvement will be dramatically improved if they get on their Peloton bike and ride into the sunset for two hours a day, run a marathon, set these very big lofty goals. And in fact, it will actually happen if you go from zero to 100 with exercise, you will actually end up stressing your body out. You will um, release cortisol, you will release all sorts of stress hormones that will make you feel so depleted and actually hungry, (laughs) really, really hungry. And so we don't want to go to the extreme, but what we want to do is to pull in smart exercise, especially at the beginning of any change. And if you were to get a new diagnosis of elevated insulin or insulin resistance, you don't want to just go to the extreme. You want to say, I'm going to start doing 20 minutes of walking a day. I'm going to start there and I'm going to do it consistently and see how I feel. Okay. And then I'm going to add in some strength training. And I'm going to be smart about when I exercise. I'm going to go out for a walk after my meals. I'm going to utilize that glucose right away. I'm going to get it over to my muscles as fast as possible. And I'm going to kind of be old school about it. You know, this idea of like going for a walk after dinner. It's like my grandparents used to do that. Well, we should be doing that. We should be moving more right after we eat and really taking small goals when it comes to physical activity, but making sure we're moving. I mean, in the pandemic, we've stopped moving. Mm-hmm. Even here, I sit from you, I sit at my desk you know, and I have never sat in the desk more in my whole life than over the past few years. And so it's important to remember we have to move. No, and I, I love that. And, and the irony is during the pandemic, what my husband and I started doing because we couldn't do anything else. We were in Washington, DC, which you know, for the first three months of the pandemic was really shut down. And so we would walk the dogs. Now our dogs love that they get four to five miles a day of walking, you know, either in the beginning of the day, end of the day. And I used to jokingly make fun of the people in our neighborhood who walk at night. And now we are those people. And so I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I always mention to clients and to patients that it's such a simple way to help with insulin sensitivity. If you, my largest meal of the day is lunch. And that's, I'm usually active, very active in the morning, very active in the evening, And so sometimes if I've had a higher carbohydrate, like today was a higher carb day, I had some squash with some bolognese. And so I got a walk in right before we got on just 10 minutes, you know, I walked one of my dogs down the street and back up the street. 
And it's so good to get sunlight exposure. It's really good to get out in nature, get your sunglasses off. We're so conditioned to being shaded all the time that I remind people how important it is to get sunlight on your retinas. But also thinking about just hormone balance, like where a woman is in her menstrual cycle and recognizing some hormones are more insulin sensitizing versus others that are not thinking about women that are closer to like perimenopause, the five to 10 years preceding menopause or menopause. It's almost as if the level playing field changes and shifts again. And I'm sure you probably have a practice of women who will say, I'm in my mid forties, what I did in my twenties and thirties, I can't do anymore. I can't do CrossFit five days a week. I can't eat the same way that I did. So acknowledging where we are in time and place and recognizing that we can't necessarily, it's not a bad thing. We can't necessarily do the same things. One issue that I see with women in particular, it's obviously not gender specific, but I work only with women is the alcohol use. And so maybe someone was an occasional alcohol consumer pre-pandemic. And since the pandemic, that's just ramped up. And I do find alcohol for many people really can be problematic if they're trying to lower insulin, lose weight, and think of it as a very benign thing. And actually I drink, I don't drink at all anymore. I I think the pandemic for me, and it's not a judgment. I just got to a point, I was like, you know, I was only a social drinker. We're really not doing any socializing. (laughs) And I've realized I actually don't want to. So I'd love for you to speak on, do you see the same kind of situation with your patient population with alcohol? It's so interesting. I didn't hit on it. For me, alcohol falls into the sleep and the stress category, even more so than the nutrition category. We, yes, and it's so interesting as people have gone through these stressors and specifically I have, I do also find too that as women age and hit this like menopausal, perimenopausal period, they can actually be drinking more consistently than they ever did when they were younger. And it's a release and it feels like a way to control symptoms, but What it does actually is it really increases inflammatory markers and it interferes with our sleep. I really don't think people want to admit this, but it is very disruptive and it will increase all of your inflammation and your insulin too. I actually have seen many people over the course of the pandemic who I had seen had very in control numbers before they came back to me. The only thing that had changed was more regular alcohol And with it, everyone thinks, okay, well, I'll gain weight. But what you also see are these insulin resistance increasing. And so then the weight doesn't just come on in relationship to calories. It comes on like an avalanche, a snowball, because your insulin resistance is increasing. And that's because even if you're sticking to lower carbohydrate alcohols, which you can talk about, you're still seeing this inflammation come on. And for many people, wine feels sophisticated and healthy because we've been told that a lot in in studies. But if you dig into it, they all have money behind them of companies who want you to buy wine. (laughs) And yes, in limited quantities, it can be fine. But in regular usage, the carbohydrate, and especially people have it at night, they think that they're going to unwind, they're going to have this carbohydrate hit and it's going to stick with them throughout the night and decrease the quality of their sleep their insulin will never get a chance to come down because it's dealing with this blood sugar load that has come on late at night and they'll wake up the next morning feeling both hungover, but then have this kind of hidden effect of the excess sugar. So in my practice, it's something we take off the table when we're really trying to change symptoms. It's something we can add back in, but it's something you need to take away to realize how much better you feel about it. I'm actually, I'm about eight months pregnant. And I always, this is my third time. This is my third child. 
I always forget how good you feel actually when you don't drink for so, so, so long. And I'm not a heavy drinker either. It's more social, but it doesn't even phase me anymore. And I feel so good. And every time I've done this, I think, okay, I should really not, I should just totally give it up just like I do for pregnancy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think this time I might because, you know, I've got all these other symptoms going on, but it's not complicated by, was it the glass of wine we had last night? And so I would encourage people, it seems like a hard one, but it's actually pretty easy. Give yourself about two weeks without, and then beyond it, you won't think of it as much. And if you're using it as an emotional crutch, we need to find something else for you to substitute at night to release, right? We need to pick up an adult coloring book or crochet or go for a walk or get on the treadmill and like binge watch your favorite TV, but do something else with your body, not pouring a glass of wine and unwinding that way. So it's very doable and it will make a big improvement on your metabolic health. And it's interesting because the drinking culture piece and for full disclosure, and I've been very open about this, I grew up with an alcoholic parent and I think alcoholic children, either as they become adults, they either had one direction, either they're not big drinkers or they are big drinkers. And so I know I got teased a lot when I was younger because I was never a big drinker. And ironically, we went out last night with another couple in our new city and went to this new restaurant, this amazing German restaurant. And they all had all these craft cocktails. And I looked at the, the young woman and I was like, well, I think I'm just going to stick with my water. And actually I'm cold. So can I have hot tea? And she leaned over and she was like, oh, I'm a reformed alcoholic. And so I totally get it. And I was like, oh, no, no, I never had a problem. And I don't judge anyone that has I just know that I feel a whole lot better when I don't drink. So now that's just be kind of become my platform. And, and for a lot of people, I find drinking alcohol less often, their sleep is better. They may not get hot flashes. That was almost a guarantee. If I drank, I would have a hot flash and my sleep would be terrible. And since mm-hmm. I've otherwise been very asymptomatic kind of transition from perimenopause to menopause for me, it, the hot flash isn't worth, I don't care how good the wine is, it is not worth what it does, to the, how it kind of erodes my sleep quality. So definitely something for me, I kind of pack in the back of my head, like, remember how you felt the last time you drank, and that's why we don't drink. So for those that are trying to navigate not consuming alcohol or consuming lower carbohydrate alcohols or going with a mocktail, what are some of your suggestions? Because I think that there's also this misnomer that a low carb wine, a low carbohydrate beverage is going to be superior, but for what it sounds like, it still puts you on that slippery slope. And especially if we become less insulin sensitive as the day goes on, if you're consuming that all in the evening, that could really set you up for disrupting metabolic health. So one thing I'm going to, I want to start with here is probably a little different than maybe, I don't know if you, your listeners have heard this before, but I know we're talking mostly about lifestyle, but there is actually a tool in my toolbox that I use as a physician to help people cut back on alcohol cravings right at the beginning, if they find it really hard. Some people might be being like, I can't even listen to you guys right now because I don't want to give it up. And if for many people, alcohol is not a physical dependency, but it's an emotional dependency. And there is a part of the brain that kind of lights up every day at about seven o'clock. And we'll say in order for you to unwind or in order for you to kind of continue on with the day, I'd like you to have a glass of wine. And it might just be one glass. And it really might not even be more than what's recommended, you know, for healthy, but it feels like you can't do without it. And if that's the case, there is a medication called naltrexone on the market. And interesting, like naltrexone is part of one of the weight loss, the five, actually now six FDA approved weight loss drugs. 
called Contrave, and they combine it with a drug called Wellbutrin, and it cuts back on all sorts of cravings for the things that don't serve you well. And so if that is food, you cut back on food kind of cravings, alcohol. I've even used naltrexone in patients who are diet Pepsi addicts or diet Coke addicts in my practice. And so just as a little bit, there are some other tools that aren't widely known. And in most primary care practices, they really wouldn't know about this medication. It's generic and it works really well. And it's not something you need long-term, but sometimes people will benefit from it to try to say, I just need to, I don't have a physical dependency. I've talked to my doctor about it, but in order for me to make this transition, a little bit of this medication for a short amount of time can be very, very helpful. So just to throw that out there, because I don't think people know about it enough, but the other things to think about are really setting your goals about it and writing them down, like actually pen to paper. Because if you just say, I'm going to go dry January because everyone else is doing it. Or if you set it with a negative tone, like I'm going to give this up because I need to lose five pounds. It's usually not very motivating and you will give it up very fast. And then you'll perpetuate the cycle of beating yourself up and you'll say, see, I knew you couldn't do it. So I really ask people to set very clear goals about why they are putting a stop to drinking. And even if it's just short term, like I said, just two weeks kind of get into it and to reevaluate, write down your goal the day before, tell yourself, make a little plan for how you will execute on your goal while you're doing it. And then what you'll do if it goes off course, right? And so we need to make sure that if it goes off course, well, okay, it went off course, but then the next day I'd like to try it again. And so repeating this cycle, I really encourage people to keep a journal for everything in their lives, but especially when you're trying to do transitions like this. And then when it comes to, if you're bringing it back in moderation and you really are, want to be aware of your insulin sensitivity, when it comes to alcohol, I say very slow and steady is how you should introduce it. And you should know how you respond. I have so many people in my practice who are very low carbohydrate. And I always tell them when it's time to reintroduce alcohol, you need to decide what works for you. So some people respond very well to the low sugar wines and they feel great on it. And then others will say, I still get that terrible sugar hangover feeling. And I feel sick to my stomach. And it's not really a hangover because it's not excess alcohol, but it's the sugar that gives them, they'll have stomach upset. They won't feel well the next day. They'll be very dehydrated. And those people might do better with a clear liquor or a spiked seltzer as their treat. And they have to just kind of take, try and just start, stop at one glass because you have to know how you respond. And I usually find it's one or the other. The very important thing is sometimes people think I'm going to have a cheat day and I I'm going to blow it out of the water. I'm going to eat all of the things and I'm going to drink all of the things. And there is nothing worse. You will feel horrible. I can predict it. I warn everybody. Most people listen to me. And then sometimes they say, oh, I should have listened to you. Because if you're going to have alcohol, do not make that the whole meal a cheat. Because the added sugar of a pasta dish, if you haven't been eating it with the alcohol, you think it's just going to get it over in one fell swoop. But instead, you, your body will not be able to handle it. And you will have a reaction. Like everyone will on some level, either it's headache it can be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. It could be the next day you can barely get yourself out of bed, but something will happen. <laughs> and so when, and if you do decide to drink, pair it with a normal meal, whatever you've been eating, however many carbohydrates you've been eating, whatever you've been doing in the weeks before so that you can feel good. 
Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients, and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believe that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. I love those tips. And it's interesting, naltrexone, I have always been more familiar with it in conjunction with autoimmune disorders like Hashimoto's and symptoms when people are really struggling with symptoms. So it's interesting to know that that's another way that or strategy that you can introduce with your patient population. I love what you mentioned about the cheat day because I will share the same information. I always say, if you're going to enjoy something, whether it's you're going out to eat and you're going to have a nice dessert. I don't know if there are many nice desserts. Most desserts in restaurants are a catastrophic disaster. Or if you're at home and you've decided like Saturday, you're going to have something special, whether it's an appetizer or that glass of wine or the dessert, but to do all the things is going to set you up, especially if you've been eating pretty healthfully up until that point. And, you know, unfortunately there's a strategy that I use in one of my classes where people will do their normal fasting schedule for five days They'll have one 24 hour fast and then they'll have one 
I refer to it as a feast day, but the feast just means you're having a wider feeding window. You might have more protein with each meal as a way to kind of remind your body that you're not in this deprivation state. Sometimes people interpret that to mean it's a day I get to eat whatever I want from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed. And inevitably they wake up the next day and they feel wrecked. Like you mentioned, they might be nauseous. They have really had poor sleep quality. And unfortunately, or fortunately, the aura ring has so nicely aligned when when I get up in the morning, I feel good. And the data almost, I mean, 99.9% of the time completely aligned. So I can be really honest with myself, but I find more often than not, it just reaffirms for people why they want to make better decisions. Because when they eat a certain way, a way that nourishes their body, nutrient dense foods, generally lower carb, people don't have to be ketogenic, but less carbs are usually better. And certainly really dependent on where you are in life stage. I have teenage boys. They are seemingly are impervious to anything they eat. They're athletic. And I remind them, I'm like, enjoy this time in your life (laughs) because things will change at some point. However, they're much more insulin sensitive than probably a middle-aged man might be. So really important that people have context of sometimes those, I went off the rails, quote unquote, are opportunities to reaffirm why you make the choices that you do. And that, you know, kind of the reframing of our thinking so that we're not thinking lack we're thinking this is my choice because I choose to feel better. I want to feel better as opposed to saying, I can't eat those things anymore. It's like, no, no, I choose not to. This is also where I find journaling and writing things down to be incredibly important. So in my practice, hundred percent of people have to log and it's not even calorie counting or macro counting. It's just, I want to see these associations and I want you to put into writing that you felt terribly after this so that we don't repeat it again. And then it is, it's so empowering, you know, and most people when without guidance and accountability and hearing podcasts like this, and I, I, you know, this is part of the accountability and guidance. If they have, if they wake up feeling that way, then it will just turn into a multi-day kind of binge really of things that don't serve their body and an attempt to fix it because it's kind of what we've been taught and we've stick, you know, sticks with us. And so the idea of, oh, I had that reaction to this food. And I always re- recommended this in my medical practice for things like headaches. Like if headaches are your problem, write it down, like start to see the associations, but, you know, feel good about the fact that you're like, I recognize this. Okay. Next time I do this, I won't do it again. And you're right because it's, it's incredibly powerful behavior change motivator. Absolutely. And I love that you're encouraging your patients to write it down so that it becomes transparent. They may not be able to you know, make those associations until everything is written on paper and they can reflect back on it. So that is certainly helpful. Now, one thing that I definitely want to make sure we touch on is the role of technology in metabolic health. Obviously, your point of care testing is critically important. Do you have other either apps or biohacking devices that you're a huge fan of? Everyone everyone that follows me knows I have a couple that are like my favorites, but I'd love to hear what yours are. Okay. So the first one is not so tech advanced, but I find Google Excel spreadsheets to be incredibly helpful for having people write down their food and pairing it with hunger and emotions, any notes. It's really easy because it's across all devices and it's free. And I think it's easy and people don't get frustrated because they can't find their specific meal. And we kind of take that element out of it. So that's the most basic. Other things that I really like, oh, you know what? Another low-tech thing I love is a travel scale. So you can find a travel scale on Amazon for about $25. It's the size of a Kindle. 
And people can get so derailed unnecessarily on vacation and it ruins the point of the vacation if they don't kind of keep tabs on their progress. And so that's something that I, a lot of my patients are like, no, you're crazy. And I was like, I won't travel home without it. I actually love having this thing with me. (laughs) So those are some two like low tech things that I think are very helpful for my patients getting into ketosis. I was so fortunate to have been taught by Dr. Eric Westman at Duke. And he kind of taught me if people are feeling better and they're losing weight, then they're in ketosis and we don't need to check for it. But I do find that a keto mojo or a ketone testing tool can be a really good gamified way to keep up with your progress. If if being in ketosis is your goal. And really, to be honest, I also love, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm so low tech, even though I have a tech company, I really like a paper measuring tape also for people. And so we're talking about metabolic health and doesn't necessarily need to be weight loss focused, but a paper measuring tape can be very helpful in, in mapping your progress. If the scale isn't showing as much, and it can also give you a baseline of a waist circumference and carrying central obesity, which that's where insulin resistance is stored, the fat that's really in our belly. And so I like people to kind of take some assessments at the beginning of their journey. And it can be really exciting when the scale is not moving, but you're like, I just lost two pounds on my waist. And I thought I did from my pants, but I really did. And you're going to see such huge benefits in your overall health when you reduce that number. What else? I think those are it. I'm a little bit old fashioned, I think. No, I I think that's totally fine. I think for all of us, we probably have stuff that we lean on and certainly stuff that's, that's helpful. Now I want to kind of pivot back to talk about your point of care testing, because when we're talking about metabolic health, and I think this is an important kind of point to end on, we're really speaking to, as you mentioned, waist circumference, we're speaking to blood pressure, we're speaking to fasting glucose, obviously insulin is that pre precursor. The, the one that I think is even probably more, dare I say more important triglycerides and HDL. So You mentioned that there are eight areas that are tested in this point of care testing at home, which I love the concept of this. In fact, for full transparency to the listeners, when we connected, the first thing I said was I have to bring them on the podcast because everyone needs to understand that they have the ability to do this at their homes without having to wait until they have an appointment with their healthcare professional. So let's talk a little bit about that. And then I want to talk about the HOMA score and why that's so important. So in our kits, the foundation, and it changes a little bit between all the kits that we're offering, but in our core inaugural product, the weight biology kit, we're testing for our cholesterol markers that you just mentioned. So we're testing for triglycerides, HDL, and LDL. We are looking at the blood sugar category of fasting blood sugar, hemoglobin A1C, and fasting insulin. And then we're also looking at thyroid stimulating hormone and vitamin B12. In other kits, we are opening it up to HSCRP, vitamin D, we're looking at female health hormones, AMH, but in our core products, those are the eight. Now you're probably thinking, but I've had people look at those maybe except for insulin. We're looking at them differently. So we are putting them together, not as in a, the LDL is bad, but we're really honing in on the fact that the good cholesterol HDL, we need that to be higher. We won't want your triglycerides to be down. We're screening you for something called metabolic syndrome. And we're using the fasting glucose and fasting insulin together with the HOMA IR score. And so you don't need to go digging around the internet how to calculate it. We do that for you. 
and we tell you where on the spectrum of insulin resistance you are. So what is HOMA IR score? It's a validated mathematical modeling tool that allows us to take fasting glucose and fasting insulin and give you a predictive score of where you fall on the insulin sensitivity spectrum. What I find so fascinating about it is, is that we will see evidence of insulin resistance 20 years before we start to see dysfunction in the more traditional screening metrics like fasting glucose and hemoglobin A1C. Now we're still looking at those in our kit because they're important as part of the whole picture, but really the special sauce is in looking at fasting insulin. And it's again, if you, everything else is normal and that's a little high, best place to be in because you have the ability to transform the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life because you got this power and knowledge now of what it looks like. And in our kit, in our portal, you're not just getting the lab results, we're giving you an explanation. So we are screening you for metabolic syndrome. We're looking and providing tools for sleep apnea guidance, emotional eating, right? We're having you kind of dig deep, like, gosh, is this really come out of nowhere? Or some of my lifestyle habits factoring in, where should I start first? And so we're using different cutoffs in our lab interpretation than you would at a traditional lab for like, there's no way you'll ever see an insulin of 30 being in the normal range on our kit. So we, we, we go, we go much lower. So that's really what we're doing. It's not just this ease of pricking your finger at home and popping in mail and never having to really beg. Honestly, people have to beg, borrow and steal to get fasting insulin at most doctor's offices. So you can do it at home, but then you get the knowledge about what to do with it. And so then when they come to a program like yours, this is why I love talking to you because we have a place to send people and say, okay, well, we've recommended intermittent fasting and lifestyle and nutritional changes here. Like you've identified it now. Now you're really motivated. This will work, right? This will work and you'll come back and you'll test your labs again and you'll, you'll see how it worked. No, and it's exciting for so many reasons and not just the fact that if consumers do this test, there are actual physicians that work directly with you that are looking at the results. So it's not as if they're kind of this innocuous, they're in this innocuous vacuum and maybe sort of kind of people are, you know, keeping their eyes. There are actual clinicians that are looking at these results. And so obviously if people are on one end of the spectrum or the other, they will, you will reach out to them. And I think that's incredibly invaluable. Well, let listeners know how to connect with you on social media, how to connect with you on your website. Obviously, we'll have all your links. I was so impressed with our conversation that we are going to be integrating this testing with my two signature programs starting in January. People will have the opportunity to purchase these test kits. I'm actually going to encourage the people in the intermittent fasting program to do a pre and post meaning take the test before they start and take it at the end and look at the data to see the improvements. Yes. And it's so motivating. It's just much more motivating than saying like, I want to fit into skinny jeans. It's like, no, I'm actually transforming my health and I want to make, hold on to it and maintain it. So we're really excited to be partnering with you. So you can find us on our website at getsowell.com. We are by the time this airs, we will have a, a website relaunch with new additional products and more testing kits. We really listen to you. So we want your feedback because we are releasing things based on what people are asking for. And you can find us on social media on Instagram at my personal handle at Alexandra Soa MD and get so well. And I love your questions and your questions. I will, I'll do, you know, Q and A. So just drop them in my DMs and, and I'll answer them. And 
I love hearing from you. And again, we, I'm creating this for people who I know need it. So tell us, tell us more what you want and we're making it. No, well, thank you so much for the work that you do. I know that this makes, certainly makes things easier for me because more often than not, when I refer people to their primaries, I get that, well, my doctor, my nurse practitioner, my whomever doesn't know how to, I mean, I appreciate that the clinician is being honest and saying, I don't know how to interpret the data, but if more and more people are asking this of their clinicians, my hope is that we can start screening and doing a better job with preventative healthcare, because that's really what it's about. We don't want anyone to develop diabetes. We don't even want you to develop insulin resistance. We want you to be able to be on top of these markers so that you can impact your health in incredibly beneficial ways. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.